Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Too often, the Bible is co-opted by people who seek to advance a personal agenda, whether laying claim to a piece of land, as in the case of Manifest Destiny, or justifying slavery in the Civil War era, we Americans have a long history of mixing apples and oranges. We hear the Lord's promise of a homeland and assume that he is talking about Native American or Palestinian real estate. We are confronted with St. Paul's teaching that we are slaves in God's Roman household, and instead of bowing our heads, we twist and distort his words to justify the tyranny of our plantation system. This happens over and over again, because human beings assume that if option A is wrong, option B must be right. If God is saying submit to authority, the authority must be right. Or conversely, if God is saying that the king is an antichrist, the people must be right. We neglect the most important point about the Lord's judgment, that it is functional. It's not that one side is justified over another, it's that you yourself are wrong because God happens to be looking at you. That's why, to our face, Caesar, the biblical antichrist, is also Caesar, the governing authority who serves at the pleasure of God. As Paul explains in Romans, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus defies taxation by neither opposing nor endorsing it. Likewise, in chapter 15, he defies Caesar by neither rejecting nor supporting the authority of Pilate. He merely submits. Why? Because for him, neither the scribes, nor the Pharisees, nor the people, nor the evil spirits, nor Pilate, nor Caesar hold any power. The only power that Jesus recognizes in Mark is the authority of his Father vested in the content of Scripture. As such, the Mark and Jesus owes nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 6 to 15. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 205 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Last week, Richard, we left off with verse 5 of chapter 15, and we didn't take time to talk about, once again, this important 
terminological marker in the Gospel of Mark, which is the word amazed. As in the case of immediately a feast, which continues to show up now and then in the narrative, but which was imposed upon us with a barrage of reoccurrences in the opening chapters, we have again in verse 5 this use of the word amazed. Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. And I just want to say before we jump into verse 6 this morning, that Pilate's amazement at the authority of Jesus standing before the throne of Caesar, Pilate is just Caesar's proxy, his amazement is more well-placed than the amazement of the crowds at Jesus' miracles. Because Pilate is amazed at the way in which Jesus is able to defy the throne of Caesar while remaining in perfect submission under the authority of his father. It's not amazement that Jesus can whip out a lightsaber and show his divine power, which is what the mob wants when they're asking Jesus to do something for them. It's amazement that Jesus so patiently and so dispassionately thumbs his nose at the greatest power on the planet Earth. Jesus was able to perform miracles which impressed the people because they thought, ooh, this guy might be stronger than Caesar. But when Pilate sees Jesus defy this potential sentence of death over his head with silence by doing nothing, that inaction, that desire not to act was what amazed him. That he could look at Pilate and look right through him as if he wasn't there. As if Jesus were looking at a ghost, not the other way around. Jesus was able to see through the power of Pilate. And that's the difference. Is Pilate your standard or is Pilate not even a factor? This scene with Jesus and Pilate is quintessential for anyone who is in any way serious about understanding St. Paul's teaching. People hear us talk about hierarchy, and they assume that we're advocating authoritarianism. But scripture does not advocate human authoritarianism. You're missing the point. What you don't understand is that when people in this culture talk about the will of the mob against an authority figure, to my scriptural ears, it's another kind of authoritarianism. Scripture is proposing something different. And it's expressed in the way that Jesus submits to Pilate as the authority on earth without acknowledging his authority because the authority that Pilate has doesn't come from Caesar and the authority Caesar has does not come from Caesar. This is the teaching of the Old Testament. The authority of the king of Assyria, even when he's attacking Jerusalem, comes from the Lord of hosts. The Lord controls everything. We've been talking about how scripture controls the situation when Jesus is on trial, which means that Jesus is simply taking his place in the hierarchy established by his father. And right now in that hierarchy, Pilate is senior to him. And even though Pilate is working against Jesus, Jesus submits without submitting to Pilate's ego. When Paul speaks, people think he's talking about authoritarianism. He's not talking about authoritarianism. He's talking about submission. But you can't have submission without an authority. It doesn't make sense. So when people say, who are you 
to be the authority over me, the actual question for the Christian is, who are you not to submit? Now, they might want to say, who are you not to submit to me? That's a different issue. That is where you're trying to exercise power. But the point about Jesus is not that he exercises power over Pilate. The point is that he submits to one figure and one figure only, and that's his father. He's not going to submit to Caesar. Caesar can be as much of an authoritarian as he wants. He says, I'm just not going to submit. He doesn't cause a stink about it. No American could do what Jesus is doing because every American would have to stand up and make a speech about how they don't submit. I will not submit, and Jesus would have to make a big speech. But Jesus said, what, were you saying something I didn't notice? Because I only hear one voice, and it's a voice of my father, and he's not telling me to do anything right now, so I'm not doing anything. Here's what's truly amazing about the Lord's submission to Pontius Pilate in this situation. As in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the story of Nebuchadnezzar and the fiery furnace, Jesus, in his silence and in his submission, is saying, Be it known to you, O Caesar, I will not bow down to your effigy. Be it known to you, O Caesar, that my father can save me, and my father can be victorious over the power of death that you wield. But at the same time, should my father choose not to save me, should he choose not to raise me from the dead, I still will not bow down to you, O Caesar, nor worship your effigy. That's what's going on here. And to the extent that Pilate is amazed, there's a hint of the evangelization of Roman society. Because Pilate is amazed at the correct thing. It's amazing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the man. It's more amazing that Jesus is bowing down to the man without bowing. And that is the secret sauce of the Bible. That is why empowerment culture is a failure. It doesn't work. You are creating more dysfunctional egos. Preach them the story of Jesus Christ. Preach them Paul's teaching on how to submit to the Roman paterfamilias so that he would submit to the cross and everyone would form a community. I've said it many times before and I'll say it again, Richard. This is why Dr. King was successful. Because instead of trying to empower his community against the oppressing community, he reached out to hold hands with his oppressor. And this is never popular. Nobody who lives in a camp wants to hear that someone from their community is reaching out to the other side. It's so powerful that Jesus is not conducting an intifada against the Romans. And he has every right to. So please hear us correctly. Don't impose the binary logic of public discourse in our country on scripture. Because according to our binary logic in the United States, you're either for or against. But scripture is just against. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Bar Abbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. This 
is a very interesting verse because you have Jesus who is defying the tyranny of Caesar's throne without lifting a finger. He is defying it in his submission to his father's authority wielded by Pontius Pilate against him. This is why the gospel is so difficult because no one wants to believe that God would ever go against them. My dear friends, God goes against us every day. In scripture, there's no ethical good versus evil. There's the will of God. And sometimes you get the short straw. That's why there's no justification for insurrection. Because if you conduct a violent revolt against Caesar, you're fighting God who put Caesar in place. It's a very unpopular teaching. Mark here is contrasting Jesus and his defiance of tyranny with Barabbas and his choice to try to bring about a change in the political situation through violence. That's what's being contrasted. And it's interesting, Richard, that the name Barabbas means a son of the father. The people loved Jesus because they thought he was going to bring an insurrection. Look how lame he is up there. Like they bring him up in the court and he doesn't even say anything. He just stands there doing nothing. When the other choice, the son of their father, the one who fights with violence is scrappy and he's ready to go and fight for what's right. Whereas this Jesus guy just stands there and does nothing. They want the son of their father, the one who fights the good fight. Like every good red-blooded American wants somebody who will fight for what's right. But that's why Pilate's amazement is so powerful. Because Jesus, in this moment, is very unamazing. So the crowd is fooled, as they're always fooled by miracles and signs and wonders. And this guy, whose name means the son of the father, appeals to that emotional need they have for fireworks. But real power in scripture comes without fanfare and fireworks. It's the power of the word of truth spoken by Jesus in his obedience. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. They're asking Pilate now to honor this gesture of kindness towards the Jewish community. Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? This has to be very difficult for the characters in the story who are trying to ensure that Jesus is condemned. For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. So, Pilate knows that he's sticking it to them when he says this. He's purposefully putting pressure on them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Bar Abbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Now it's interesting that Pilate said, whom you call the king of the Jews. It's really odd because we never get anyone calling Jesus the king of the Jews except Pilate. That's a fact. Now, why would he say whom you call the king of the Jews? One of the reasons why you can turn somebody over in the Roman Empire is if they're a challenge to power, if it looks like they're a potential challenge to Caesar because they want to make themselves a king rather than allow Caesar to continue to function as king. So potentially the people acted as if he was their king, but they want Barabbas to be their king, the one who fights and who murders for the sake of freedom. 
And in doing so, they want Caesar as their king. If you opt for the methods of insurrection, you're opting for Caesar. It's the standard of Caesar, not the person of Caesar that they worship. It's functional. Call it Pharaoh. Call it Caesar. Call it Alexander the Great in history. Call it anything you want. It's the Antichrist. It's the one who puts himself on the throne and asserts power. And that's the genius of St. Paul's teaching, is that he kept the throne, and he even kept the duty of the throne, but he emasculated it. If you don't understand what I'm saying about Paul and Mark, go back and read the letter to Philemon 50 times. They shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. At this point in the Gospel of John, the writer is more explicit in stating that the people are trying to put Jesus on trial and have him executed for treason. In Mark, it's implied. But what's interesting about the difference is that Mark is still pointing to this tension within the Jewish community which plays out in Luke. Do we revolt against the Romans or not? By the time you get to John, it's just a question of who's your king, Caesar or the father of Jesus? Which, I mean, Jesus as his proxy, his Messiah, expresses that kingship, but it's the authority of the father in John. But in Mark, are we going to revolt to defend the temple? Or are we going to submit to the Romans in obedience to the Torah? So it's an important distinction. But in both cases, ultimately, it still is a showdown between the kind of authority that Caesar represents, the ego of the false god, whether it's Bar Abbas or Julius Caesar, versus the non-ego of Jesus Christ. They want the kind of power that can take on Caesar. They want the chief priests. They want the violent insurrectionists. This is what they want. They have no time for Jesus in the end. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. So although Pilate seems to lean in the right direction with the focus of his amazement, at the end of the day, he's still as much a slave to the mob as the leaders of the Jewish community are. He shows his true colors here that he has to submit to the people. The people want to submit to his power. He wants to submit to their power. That's why they all get together so well. Sure, it's a fraught relationship. This is why there's no place for Jesus, who neither submits to the people nor to Caesar. And I ask all of the readers to pay close attention, because in American literature, the mob is always a positive function, and the authority figure is always a negative function. And that's how I hear a lot of Christians reading the New Testament. But in the Gospel of Mark, the mob is a very negative player. The crowds are not the good guys in Mark. The leaders are not the good guys. Julius Caesar is not the good guy. There's no one who is good in Mark except the father of Jesus. You have to pay attention to this fact. It's this wish, Richard, to satisfy the crowd that is the destructive force in the Gospel of Mark. 
we view a difference between the ego of the mob and the ego of the tyrant, but the mob is a different kind of tyrant. I want to keep stressing this. Everybody is compromised. Notice that Jesus is the only one who doesn't try to curry the favor of the people. Everyone is trying to get the crowd to do what they want. Everyone is mixed up about what power is. Jesus alone understands that neither Caesar, nor the chief priests, nor even the crowds have power over his father, the only voice, the only authority that he will submit to. The only authority that counts. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.